successfully. Anyways, happy Father's Day to all of you. Um, and it's interesting because one of the things about Father's Day that stands out to me is, I don't know, like Mother's Day comes first because we kind of expect mothers to carry it with, like carry for the team when it comes to your family. Especially like with babies, it's like, who's more likely to stay up all night with the baby? Honestly, it's the mom. Who's more likely for the kids to, when stuff goes wrong, they want their parent? Normally, mom is the favorite. But something funny that we've come across is there's been a lot of studies on what has the biggest impact on kids, youth, young adults, actually having a lifelong faith, actually coming to know and follow Jesus for their entire life. And one of the biggest factors is not their mom, it's actually their dad. One of the biggest factors is dads showing up at church with their family. Just going to church with your family, just being here this morning, is one of the biggest things you can do statistically to ensure that your child comes to know and follow Jesus for the rest of their life. And if you have the guts, if you have the intention to be a dad that occasionally talks about, hey, this is what God's teaching me right now, and you're a dad that models actually reading the Bible and praying on your own, having your own faith, that increases the odds of your kid coming to know and follow Jesus and having their own faith, not just going to church when they're dragged, but actually having their own faith and knowing and following Jesus out of their own heart. It raises it really, really high. And so I just want to encourage you and challenge you dads. I want to encourage you, you're here right now, so you're doing something really well. I want to challenge you to take the opportunity to set an example in every part of your life. Have those conversations. Model to your kids what it means to know and follow Jesus, because it pays off. So this morning, we are jumping into, we're almost to the end of our series. So if you hate this series, we only got two more to go. But if you love this series, savor it, enjoy it. Uh, listen to the podcast, watch it back on YouTube. I don't know. Don't, don't tell me that's kind of creepy. Um, but we're on the week of spur one another. I got really excited when I was like, man, the Bible says some interesting things. They use the word spur in many versions uh, in this direction of how to live in community with each other, not to follow Jesus on our own, but to actually follow Jesus with other people. To follow Jesus with the person on your right, on your left, the person in front of you, the person behind you, with one another. And one of the directions comes out of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25. Let's take a look at that together. Of course, I'm reading out of a uh, translation that doesn't say spur, so it's fun. All right, verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate or spur one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And this morning, the title of the message is Conformed or Transformed. Are you being conformed by the pressures of life, or are you being transformed by God into his image? We're going to dig into that a little, but let's pray first. God, we're so thankful to get to be here. Uh, I was looking at the sunny weather outside and was excited to be outside, but now I'm excited to be inside looking at that rain. But I'm just so thankful that we get to do church with one another, that we get to 
lets you challenge us, let you work through the people around us, um, that you've actually put them here not just to be a challenge in our life, but to be a blessing and an encouragement. I pray that this morning you would help us to see how we can follow you even closer, how we can live life a little bit more like you created us to live life. We can discover a little bit more of our purpose this morning, God. And we're thankful that you're so faithful to do that when we show up with open hearts and open minds. So we're excited for that and grateful. In your name, amen. All right. So um, how many of you guys have ever had like a performance review? Okay, a lot of you. Most of you don't look very happy about that. Uh, it seems to be a thing that employers like to do is performance reviews. And I've had a few performance reviews in my life. Occasionally churches take things seriously and they do performance reviews. Um, not my other employers ever did, which is interesting. But anyways, performance reviews, I used to be like, I used to realize that my emotions before a performance review, I'd feel like, I'd be like, man, I have a lot of emotions around this. I've got like some fear and some embarrassment. And I thought that this fear and embarrassment was because if I got the performance review done, then I was going to, there's going to be bad news. They're going to be like, oh man, you're just terrible at everything. Or like I thought I was coming out of that. And then over time I came to realize it didn't matter how good or bad the review was. I had these, this fear of embarrassment like inside of me, like beforehand for like a week before, like once your boss is like, oh yeah, we'll just do your review this day and they act like it's no stress and you're like, ugh, and those emotions are in you. And I realized that for myself, I ended up actually having this internalized belief that if they could say anything negative about me, that meant that I had failed because that meant that I should have figured out what I should have been doing better before I got the review, which either involves perfect self-awareness or some mind reading to actually know what your boss wants when they haven't told you what they want, right? But for whatever reason, I had come to that belief. And so I'd feel so much turmoil around it and I'd just like not want to do the reviews. I wanted it, but I realized that the only way to really avoid those emotions the only way to avoid a review where there was some stuff that pushed me and challenged me was to only do things that I knew I was already really good at and then stick to that and never change. Have you ever met somebody that does that? Like if you invite them to a potluck, you know that they're going to make the one dish that they know that they're good at making and that will always, everybody will always rave about it and they never try anything new. And they're consistent. They're very consistent, and it's not a bad thing to be consistent, but it comes at the cost of they never actually grow or change. Like, I can be like that with cooking, where I'm like, I know how to make a bacon and egg sandwich really well. That's mostly what I feed myself if I'm left to my own devices, because it's consistent, but I never change or grow. And it's interesting because without feedback, things get interesting. But how many of you guys have had a bad experience with feedback? I just want you to think. We don't have to raise our hands. But do you have a bad grade that you still remember, even if it was 10, 20, maybe 30, 40 years ago? Remember when you got a bad grade and the feedback just messed you up? Or you had a coach that when they gave you feedback, it just, you did not feel good after. 
Or maybe you had an audition that went wrong. I think that's one of the most embarrassing things possible. Is we have an audition where you think you're going to ace it and it just did not go well. And you've got a little bit more reality than you bargained for. Or maybe this is one of the worst things. You're relying on somebody to give you good feedback and they actually didn't. Like, don't trust your mom for feedback. You can ask your mom, hey, does this look good on me? And you're like, they're like, oh, yeah, those jeans, that shirt, that looks great. And then you can put on like the craziest outfit and you're like, does it look good? And a lot of moms are going to be like, oh, you look amazing. They don't give good feedback because they are too kind. I'm not sure of the right word. But if you ever rely on somebody for good feedback, like when you're like getting ready for an interview, you know who's going to say, who's going to like just hype you up no matter what you're wearing. And then there's a person who's going to actually be like, okay, you need to wear a different tie. Those shoes don't work. But if you get bad feedback, that's the worst. I actually had a manager once who my performance reviews were great. And I was like, it seems like things are going, like there's something off, but my, your performance reviews are, but my performance reviews are coming back great. And I like, Tell me what's going wrong. Give me real feedback. And they're like, no, it's good. And then sure enough, my boss's boss finally talks to me, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's the feedback that was hiding. That was reality. But I think for all of us, once you've had enough bad experiences with feedback, whether it was a coach, whether it was a teacher, whether it was a parent, whether it was a spouse, there's a point where you're like, I'd rather just not get feedback. I'd rather not have people tell me how I'm doing because it just hurts a lot less. And then you turn to the person that only brings one dish to the potluck ever. You turn to the Michael that lives on bacon egg sandwiches because that's the only thing he is safe cooking. And without feedback, we never change. Without feedback, you're never going to change. You're just going to stay the same. And it's funny because the sixth value of our church is called transformation. And there's a question that we attach to our values. And the question is, how has God changed me in the last year? And so if you never get feedback from God, how is God ever going to change you? Right? It's an interesting question. And this uh, value of transformation wasn't just a nice thing we wrote on the wall. It actually comes from Scripture. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Paul says this to the Roman church. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. Don't be conformed by the pressures of the world around you. Don't just fit into the mold. Don't just fit into the expectations of your boss of your friends. Don't just fit into expectations of the world around you. But let God transform you into a new person. Let God change you, transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So we need to change. If we're not letting God change us, we're missing on what God created us for. We have to change. And I think we already figured out that we don't change normally without feedback. So how do we get good feedback? Because some of us have gotten feedback from somebody at church, and it was not good feedback. Some of us have had somebody at church be like, hey, 
Michael, your pants have too many rips in them. Hey, you're not looking like this or doing that. And it's landed badly and it's gone wrong, right? But we're a church that's committed to change, so we're a church that's committed to feedback. So let's look at what the author of Hebrews says about feedback and dig into that and look at a little bit of some of the other examples we even see in Scripture. So verse 24, Hebrews chapter 10. Let us think of ways. Let us contemplate. Don't just speak. Think first. I think that's a good step here. You know that person gives feedback without thinking about it? (laughs) That person that gives feedback the same way to every single person? They give feedback the same way to their dog as they do their wife? I've been known to do that occasionally. Sometimes I figure out that I'm using the same words to correct my son as I am my dog. And I'm like, it's kind of nice words to use on my dog. It's not nice words to use for my son. This doesn't work. Let us think, contemplate first and think about who you're speaking to, what they're going to hear, what's actually going to work. Let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And in different translations, it says different things. I love the word spur in the NIV. It says spur one another to good works. But I looked into it, and it can mean stir things up. It's not calm. It's not, oh, if it doesn't change anything, do some good works. It's like, let's stir this thing up. Let's make things uncomfortable. It could also be translated prod, splinter, or even irritate. Sharp disagreement. So this is think first and then stir stuff up. Think first and then cause some discomfort. Because if we're comfortable, we never change. If we're comfortable then we're just very well conformed to the pressures of this world. If we're being transformed by God, then we are constantly uncomfortable because God's always going, hey, I've got somewhere better for you to go. And spurs, prodding, there's a thing, I've never dealt with spurs. Those are a bit more old-fashioned, but there's a thing that farmers use now called a cattle prod. And it's about this long, and it's got two points at the end. And it's basically like, a a little bit of a taser, like a slightly less than a taser, where you poke somebody, hopefully not somebody, hopefully like a cow that can handle it, and they jump and they move because they're uncomfortable. And they prod them. And so the author of Hebrews is actually saying, spur people, prod people. Think about it first. Don't just go in there haphazardly but actually cause discomfort that causes somebody to move. That's interesting. Have you ever been told to make people uncomfortable at church? Anybody ever been told, hey, you should make people really uncomfortable at church? No? I'm doing that this morning. I'm doing that. It's really interesting. So prod people, make them jump a little and move. Because God's a good shepherd. He prods us and he makes us move. But he often does it through one another. I'm digging into this and getting myself lost a little bit. Let's see. To acts of love and good work. So make sure you're prodding people in the right direction. 
Don't prod people to anger. Don't prod people to bitterness. Don't prod people to being like, man, that person at church really hurt me. We don't want to hurt people. We want to make them uncomfortable. We don't want to hurt them. You don't want to be like, prod them to never come back in the building because you said some pretty harsh words. And then let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now the day of his return is drawing near. So motivate and encourage. I like to think of, I like to think of the kind of the modern words of encourage and challenge. Challenge is a nice way of putting it, and challenge kind of keeps things in bounds a little bit. So we're being directed as the church to make each other uncomfortable by motivating, encouraging, and challenging each other. So how do we do that? I was looking for some examples. And I was like, what is the best encouragement you could find in the Bible? What is the absolute best encouragement? I think probably the best encouragement you could imagine hearing from God himself comes from Matthew chapter 25, verse 23. And Jesus is telling this parable, and he says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Can you imagine your boss just saying, Well done, my good employee. Your parents saying, Well done, my son or daughter. There's nothing much more affirming than that. And then can you imagine the God of the universe putting his hand on your shoulder and just saying, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Like, that's encouragement. That's encouraging each other. But what's the context of that? The context of that is actually in this parable where there's a handful of different employees. And the owner, the boss of the company says, hey, I'm going to give each of you a bit of the resources of this company, whatever those are. I'm going to give you, each of you a bit of money from the company. And I'm going to be gone for a month. Like, you know how bosses like to fly to Mexico. He flies to Mexico for a month. He says, take care of the money. And he comes back and different employees do different things with the money. But the employee that he puts his hand on the shoulder and says, well done, is the, my good and faithful employee, is the one that didn't sit on the money and just stare and go, hey, I'm safe. Feedback. The money's still here. None of it got stolen. None of it disappeared. I kept good accounts of it. That's not the one who got the well done and the encouragement. The one that got the encouragement was the one that actually stepped out and said, I'm going to take some risk with it. I'm going to invest it, and I'm going to see if we can utilize this money to actually make money. I'm going to take what the boss, and, this, and it's pointing to God. I'm going to take what God's given me, and I'm going to use it. I'm going to take the gifts and the abilities God's given me, and I'm going to use them. I'm going to take the resources God's given me of time, money, relationship, and I'm not just going to appreciate it and be like, oh, this is good. I'm happy with this. I'm actually going to use it and try to multiply it. And so when it comes to encouraging each other, we can look around and go, I, if I need to encourage somebody close to me, how are they using what God's given them? How are they not just sitting there going, I appreciate what God's given me, but how are they actually using it? How are they investing it? How are they multiplying it? And there's different signs of that. Because when you see somebody being faithful with what God has given them, you see them taking actions that makes them feel alive. You can see them just light up as they're like, this is what God made me for. Because God made each one of us for different, unique, good works. And when we find the good works that God created us for, it brings life to us as we're living as God 
create us to live fully alive. And so when you see somebody coming to life as they take an action, there's a good sign they might be doing what God created them for. And if their action they're taking brings others to life, when you go everywhere this person goes, every time this person serves on the tech team, the booth is just a better place. The people around them are blessed. The people on stage are blessed. That person's probably doing something that God created them for in the tech booth. When you see somebody who's an owner of a company and they work with their employees, but you see that their employees are always encouraged when their boss comes by. They bring life as a boss. You can go, hey, I think God created you to be a really good boss. Right? And so if you want to encourage somebody, look for what God's given them and how they're using it and go, is it bringing life in them and to the people around them? And firm their heart and intention behind the action. Because oftentimes we say, oh, you're really good at making the sound work, which is a good encouragement. But a better encouragement is to actually go, why does this person care about making the sound good on Sunday morning? It's because they actually want to empower us to hear the words that God might want me to speak to you this morning. And so affirm how they're serving the church and their heart of serving the church. If you have that boss who actually brings life to their employees, affirm to them, hey, I appreciate that even though you might run a successful company, you actually want to serve your employees and make us to work as a place that they're encouraged and they go home and they're a better dad, they're a better mom at home because they work for your company. That's amazing, right? But encouragement's the easy part, right? Encouragement's nice and fun and chill. Nobody's feelings normally get hurt with encouragement unless you really, really don't think it through. But then there's challenge. How do we challenge one another? How do we spur one another? How do we prod one another well? And I was looking at different examples in the Bible. There's one that I came across that I think is really interesting. It's in the book of Esther, chapter 4, verses 14 to 15. A little bit of context here. So the book of Esther is about a woman by the name of Esther. And she lived in the Persian Empire. But she wasn't Persian. She was actually an Israelite. She was part of the Jewish people that had been taken captive. And they were basically living as kind of the lowest tier of society as having been taken captive and oppressed by the Persian Empire. And long story short, she goes through this process that was a bit like a reality TV dating show, if we're honest. It's kind of a little bit like The Bachelor. But she goes through this process because the king of Persia was done with his current wife, and he wanted a new wife. And so they go through this process, and Esther gets selected to be the new wife of the king of Persia. She goes from the bottom of society to the very top of society. This is great. What could? It's a little dangerous being the king's wife, but you know what? Being the queen is a lot better than where she was. So she's gotten into this new position in life, but then things get complicated because she has an uncle by the name of Mordecai, and he gets himself tangled up a little bit in politics. And long story short, for him, he made somebody else in government mad at him. And this person decided that to get revenge on Mordecai, he could get Mordecai assassinated, killed, put to death, something like that. Or... He could get the entire Israelite people, which just happened to include Mordecai, killed. And so this man by the name of Haman creates a plot and is working on getting the king to commit genocide against the entire Israelite people. This entire people group living in Persia is about to get wiped out. 
And Mordecai hears rumors of this, and so he starts sending messages to Esther. I just imagine this now where they'd just be texting back and forth, and they're texting back and forth. And Mordecai sent this text to Esther. And he says, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, because you've gone from the bottom to the top, you're the queen now, don't think for a moment that you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. God's going to do what God's going to do. God will take care of his people, whether you're a part of it or not. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you are made queen for just a time as this. That's the challenge. Mordecai says, God put you here. God gave you an opportunity. He put you in a new place. And maybe, just maybe, he wants you to step out and take a risk. The last, things do not necessarily go well for the queen if she speaks up and says, hey, don't kill my people. There's a genuine risk that she was going to get killed herself for this. But Mordecai said the challenge of, Maybe God put you here to take this risk. Not just sit in the comfort and go, oh, I'm so thankful that God made me queen. That's nice. But maybe he actually put you there to take a risk and step into something new and to save your entire people group from genocide. And to give away some spoilers, she did take that risk. And God did work through that. And she did save the entire nation of Israel. There's a reason why we tell her story today and we still study it today. But it's interesting because each person in this church, you might not want your life to change, but your life is changing all the time. Your job changes, your family changes, your circumstances are always changing, and so you're always getting new opportunities. But sometimes we don't see that. Sometimes we're like, oh, things changed, but we don't see the opportunity. But maybe the person next to you does. Maybe the person behind you or in front of you sees the opportunity that God's giving you and is saying, hey, I, and they're like, oh, in this new position that you're in, in this family situation that's going on, you have an opportunity. And we're going to miss it. We're going to be Esther without Mordecai unless Mordecai steps up. We're going to be like, hey, this is nice, but it's not a me problem. And then Mordecai steps in and says, actually, maybe God put you here to work in the situation. That's challenge. That's what we're called to do. We're called to see the gifts and the abilities and the resources that God's given the people around us and go, hey, I see an opportunity for God to work through you. Do you want to step into that? Challenge isn't saying, hey, you're bad at this, you're bad at that, get better. Challenge isn't saying, here's a problem, I don't have any hope, but quit making it a problem. Challenge is saying, hey, here's a problem, and I see that you're in a unique position to actually overcome this problem, and that God might want to actually work through you to bring hope and to change and to grow. That's a good challenge. And so, you might have noticed there's stuff under your chair this morning, um, that there's a pen and a paper under there. There's a saying of practice what you preach, And often, we receive preaching and we don't practice it. And so just to make us a little uncomfortable, we're going to take about two, three minutes, and I want you to write an encouragement and a challenge to yourself. If there's something in your own life where you say, hey, here's where I see God working through me right now, just write that down. It could be a word, it could be a paragraph, I don't know how you write, 
but write that down. And then I want you to look and think and maybe pray for a second and go, hey, is there an opportunity that I'm missing right now that maybe God wants me to step into? I want you to write that down. So we're going to kick on some music, and you're going to have two or three minutes to pick up a pen and paper from under your seat and just write yourself an encouragement and a challenge. Let's practice this. All right, I'll give you about 30 more seconds. If you're not done, you just started, you can take it home. Don't worry. All right. It's interesting because I, you might have had things come to mind and you might not have. And that's the funny thing because giving yourself feedback is a little challenging. Sometimes God inspires you, God's speaking to you. Sometimes there's stuff that you already know that you just need to write down. But maybe you're going, man, I wish I knew, but I don't. I can promise you that somebody else in this room does. I can promise you that somebody else in this room knows what needs to be encouraged in your life. They can see clearly how God's working through you already. And they can also see an opportunity for God to work in you more. And when I was first at this church, before you guys had voted and said, hey, we want to we want to see what happens with this guy. Uh, I still haven't got to a performance review yet, so we'll see how that goes. But before the first performance review of voting on whether you wanted to hire me, I gave a message called The Garden. I talked about the different seasons and how uh, you can see a church sometimes in the seasons, a group of people in the seasons, and they were kind of had been in winter for a while. We got into spring, which was a time of plowing up the ground, a lot of stuff just getting ripped up and a lot of painful, difficult change the planting of the seed, a lot of hope without any idea of what's going to turn into. And that we're entering into a growth season, into the summer season, the time where things hopefully grow. If you have a garden right now, hopefully it's growing, right? And the growth season is a season of seeing these little seeds pop out, stuff pop out of the ground and go, is that a weed or is that a bean plant? And if it's a bean plant, it needs some, some sort of support to grow up, Right? depending on the type of bean, it's a whole thing. But anyway, some plants pop up, they need something, to, uh, like a trellis or something to grow up. Definitely grapes. I can tell, say that for sure. But you see it pop up and you go, oh, it needs the support. There's other things where you go, oh, it needs lots of sun, or oh, it needs shade, or oh, it needs lots of water. Oh, it needs to be pretty dry. It needs lots of fertilizer. Oh, it's good with the ground it's in. And you... And so the growth season is a time of nurture and care and encouragement and also some weeding out because sometimes the challenge is, hey, I see this opportunity for you to follow Jesus so well if you weed this out of your life. And as we're entering into this growth season, I really believe God wants to work in this church to identify gifts and abilities and opportunities and resources that maybe we didn't have five, ten years ago that we have now. Maybe he wants to do something different in this season in your life. And so we need that nurture. And so encouragement and growth is the key. Encouragement and challenge is the key to our growth right now. And something else I said really clearly that you might remember, you might not, was that I'm not here to do church for you. I'm not here to take care of your spiritual life for you. I'm here to equip you to be the church. I'm here to equip you to encourage and challenge each other. 
I love encouraging and challenging each of you, but that's not my job. My job is to equip you to be the church and challenge and encourage one another. So that being said, I want to challenge you. We're going to end with investing in our church. We're going to end with saying we believe in this. We want God to grow each one of us, and I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of nurturing what's popping up in this growth season. I want to be a part of encouraging and challenging here. And so there's hopefully enough papers under the seats, and if you don't have quite enough where you're sitting, grab some from somewhere where there's a few empty seats. And I want you to write out an encouragement and a challenge for somebody else that you know in this church community. And you don't have to just hand them this piece of paper. It might be better to send in a text. It might be better to write in a card. It might be better to just say it to their face. But I want you to think through and write out an encouragement and a challenge for somebody that you know in this church community and actually be part of what God is doing here. And by the way, if you write it for your dad, that doesn't count as a Father's Day card. We're not giving away free Father's Day cards here. But we're going to give you a couple minutes. The band's going to come up and close up in a couple minutes. But we've got a couple minutes to write an encouragement and a challenge to somebody else in this church community. And I'd love for you to share that with them this week because I think that's worth it. I think that God wants us to be the church. He wants us to be a place of growth. And he's put each one of us here with a unique perspective so we can see others and bring God's best out in them. So let's spend a couple minutes doing that, and then the band will close us up.